Movie Date is supported by the Alliance Theater, opening its new season with an all-star Atlanta cast in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, September 2nd through the 20th. Tickets at alliancetheater.org slash cuckoo. For $10 off, enter code WNYC at checkout. Rayford, let's talk about how you and I would design our ideal programmed human killing machine. A programmed human killing machine. Yes, that's right. You don't want a dog killing machine. It's not going to be like Cujo. It's right. like a human programmed killing machine. Right. You have ideas on this? You've yeah. thought about this? Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Haven't oh, you? Okay. <laughs> I can't say that I have thought about it too much. I wouldn't mind being one. Oh, yeah. But that's kind of what this is all about. I'm right. thinking like my ideal programmed killing machine if I was one. Okay. So, so one thing, I'd want my killing machine to fly. Oh, you want little little shoe rockets, boot Something rockets, like that. Just, jetpack? Maybe it's just magically able to fly. <laughs> okay. Because sometimes you need to efficiently get from A to B, and walking or running isn't going to get you there. You've already exited from thriller to fairy tale. <laughs> but okay, what else? <laughs> what are what are some other what are some other attributes? <laughs> I'd want it to do things like poison you just by touching you. Oh, okay. You know, All kind right. of like more subtle killing. Like methods. rainforest dart frog sort of ooze out of the fingers. Just something like that. Like, I think it would be really great if your killing machine could do it subtly rather than having to take, you know, a chair and hit you repeatedly over the head with things. But, <laughs> okay. like, what if, what if your killing machine could just fly yeah. to the location yeah. and then just kind of pat somebody on the head and they're dead? Yeah. I would want my killing machine to be um, to have, like, a really a great way with words. Do you know? Like, I would want really a killing charming. machine... Well, I want a killing machine who could sort of destroy people with snappy comebacks. That's, that's what I would want. Because I feel like in the movies, not enough killing machines have that kind of repartee. Oh, that's so true. So many of them have no sense of humor. Right? Because isn't that, re- isn't that what really even more than killing someone in a bar, what you really want is the ability to just think of something that's just instantly clever <laughs> and would just destroy that other person immediately. That's what you really want. To all, to bet more than a gun, you want the snappy comeback. Yes, I would. I would build a snappy comeback human killing machine. Rafer, I think you win this one. I think that killing machine <laughs> actually that, that killing machine would get the job done. And I think people out there, Kickstarter, we're going to back <laughs> this up. We're going to totally make a human killing machine who talks with great repartee. We're if nothing just else, if nothing else, there's a screenplay in there somewhere. <laughs> Nobody write that because I'm already starting. <laughs> Now, obviously, the reason we're talking about this is because we have not one, but two movies yes. about human programmed killing machines this week. That's right. What is that saying about America? That's we a have, good question. We have two of these this week. Yes, we've got Hitman, Agent 47. That's about a genetically enhanced human killing Oh, machine. so drastically different than the other who is like reprogrammed by the CIA. Yeah, totally that's, different. That's American Ultra about <laughs> a stoner who doesn't realize that he is actually a programmed killing machine, or at least used to be. We also have another one where there is killing, but not with a machine. That's right. That's Sinister 2, the sequel to the horror film Sinister. Uh, the original starred Ethan Hawke. This one does not, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about all of these in just a minute. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Okay, Kristen, uh, today's first killing machine is Hitman colon... Agent oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You yeah. know I care about those colons. Yeah, I always, I always try to include the colon. <laughs> um, this is a movie based on a Danish video game series. Uh, it stars Rupert Friend from Homeland. Uh, he's playing 
a, a character, I guess you could say a little bit sort of similar to his character on Homeland. He's playing a genetically engineered assassin. Um, I guess on Homeland he's not genetically engineered. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. He's also kind of an assassin on that one. Anyway, he plays Agent 47. He is this unstoppable, super fast, super smart killing machine. He's going after this woman named Katya. She lives in Berlin. She, uh, she herself is on a mission trying to find a, a reclusive scientist named Litvenko. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, Agent 47 keeps coming after her and uh, she's on the run. She also meets uh, Zachary Kinto as another agent with the more prosaic name John Smith. Here's a clip. He's an engineered human being. Stronger. Faster. More intelligent than normal people. His name is 47. He's here to kill you. So I think, Kristen, from listening to that clip, you can kind of get a sense of the tone of this movie. Oh, very much so. When someone's explaining things like that over that kind of operatic-y, sort Slow. of Gregorian chanty kind mm. of classical-y score, you know you're in for some murder and mayhem and some serious brain splattering. Um, uh, what do you think of this, Kristen? Well, I wouldn't even use the word mayhem. I wish there was more mayhem. I feel that... More mayhem? It doesn't even feel... Mayhem somehow implies excitement. <laughs> okay, there, there okay. isn't excitement here. This is no. almost like somebody putting on a marionette show using like metal rods on strings and just moving them around and now I move you to this spot. Now I, now yes. you're in this spot. Yes. I'm going to pick all of you up and now move you to this square. On the, I mean, it didn't even feel as though these were characters. It just felt like they were little props being moved around. Like, say, avatars in a video game. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Which, yeah, makes sense. Yes. Makes sense. And I just didn't care about anybody. Everything was moving so slowly. And I just say, thank goodness there was not an Agent 46, an Agent 45, <laughs> Agent 44. Yes. And I hope they don't make any more of these. Well, there has been one before. They made Hitman back in maybe 2005, 2007. That was a bit of a flop. Um, and so here they are making it again. Um, and you and I were just on the takeaway talking about this. And as I was mentioning there, uh, there is a character in this film whose name is 90. So I think that tells you you've got up 40-something more possible agents we could follow and 40-something <laughs> more films. I don't really think that'll happen. Um, yeah, I had the same exact sense that you did. I felt like the director, Alexander Bach, um, was like controlling everyone. I felt like he was controlling his cast by joystick. Everyone would just kind of <laughs> pivot, shoot, pivot, shoot, walk into a room. Um, I think Zachary Quinto is really miscast. Yes, in the and role that's a of shame because you know when he first showed up and I saw his face, I. I threw my arms in the air. Did right. you see me in the back of the theater cheering? I was, <laughs> no. I was like, yay, was finally this movie's going to get better. I know. I saw the back of your head. I waved at you at one point. I'm like, oh. ready for him back here. But I was like, oh, now it's going to get – no. No. No, it doesn't. He's not he's, he's not like the exciting Spock who we love so much no, from the Star Trek he's not, he's not convincing. His action scenes look really sluggish. Um, I did uh, – two things I liked about this. I liked uh, Hannah Ware who plays the girl, uh, Katya. I thought she had a certain soul to her that I could kind of – feel a little bit. Don't all agree lo- with you. Don't you agree. don't agree with me? Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> she I, also was all dead to me. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on that one. But uh, 
but I, and I, the other thing that I did kind of like were the uh, kind of cool locations in Singapore, that Gardens by the Bay, that crazy walkway that they're on. Oh, yeah, on. that was nice. There's some that cool nice. locations that, I, that I, you don't see very often in action films. Yeah, but ultimately, this is just junk. You know, I mean, I think I feel like even by the standards of European junk cinema, this was pretty bad. So I, I would have to call Hitman Agent 47 a pretty bad date. Oh, I'm going to call it just an all out horrible date. This was <laughs> okay. like one of the worst dates ever. It was horrible. There's nothing good I have to say. Honestly, about you, you would not take a date on this film. No. Unless no. it was your other video game friend. All right, Rafer. Tell me a little bit about this other movie called Sinister 2. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it, but you did. Well, this is, of course, uh, a sequel to Sinister, a horror movie with uh, Ethan Hawke. He played a crime writer who moved into a house in Pennsylvania. Of course, uh, he discovers in the basement a, a box full of old 8mm films, and each of these is basically a snuff film of a family being murdered with these little cheeky kind of uh, sneering labels that will say things like pool party or family hanging out. Get it? Uh, and oh. so, yeah, so lawn work, you oh. know, things like that. Um, and that movie was, I thought, was not great. It, uh, critics actually liked it quite a bit. There was a guy in that film who plays a deputy, uh, James Ransone from Treme, the, uh, the HBO series, I think, Treme. And uh, so James Ransone played this deputy. He was this kind of small town, hangdog, sad sack deputy um, who never actually even had a name. They just called him Deputy So-and-so. And, -and -so. and uh, so in this film, there's no Ethan Hawke, uh, but there is James Ransone. Now he's the star. Um, and he still can't get any respect. He's still now he's called ex deputy so and so. He's left. He's <laughs> he left the force. No he still has no name. No one ever calls him by name throughout the entire film, which I think is funny and interesting. Um, now uh, he's investigating a farmhouse, uh, chasing the same demon that was in the last film. He's kind of become a paranormal investigator, if you will. Uh, but a, a family has moved into this farmhouse, uh, played by Shannon Sossaman as the mom and her two twin boys. Uh, and now the twin boys have discovered a very similar box of creepy Super 8 films. Here's a clip. There are fragments, uh, references to Bagul, uh, the, the boogeyman, across all cultures over the centuries. That some cultures believe that it lived in another realm, reachable only by ritual or sacrifice. And others believe that it, it fed off of the corruption of innocence. What is up with these boxes of movies? Boxes of movies. Just don't watch them, people. Well, How many times have we learned over and over again from The Ring, from from so many movies? Yes. Don't watch the video. Right. No. I, don't watch the video. Right. Uh, but, you know, of course, uh, and I will say that uh, one of the twins, uh, uh, Dylan is the more sensitive twin. Uh, he's being sort of forced to watch these films by the ghosts of the children who made the movies. So I will say about Sinister 2 that... I I think the kind of the the series of snuff films, which is basically the the what this movie is built around, not that interesting, a little tiresome to me. Um, and there's something more uh, dreary and depressing about this movie than actually scary. But I do think there's something a little interesting about the movie when it brings in the twins' abusive dad. The mom is on the run oh. from the abusive dad, and you see how that dad affects both of these kids. 
Uh, the kids, by the way, played by real-life twins, um, uh, uh, Robert and D'Artagnan Sloan, who are of a, of a set of triplets, actually. Oh, they, my gosh. They have a sister. Those, those kids, by the way, are actually quite good in the movie. Um, if you've ever seen The Other, that old Thomas Tryon movie, The Other, uh, it reminded me of that a little bit. But um, things get a little interesting when that dad comes in because you kind of get that, that great kind of horror film metaphor about, oh, this is – there are real monsters, and those are what breed other monsters. And these are also where our internal monsters come from. And so there's this little glimmer of depth, of kind of thematic substance to it. But mostly it's just those dumb snuff films kind of over and over and over. <laughs> and so I was kind of reaching for that little bit of theme in there that I liked. But Sinister 2, I think if you liked the first one, you'll like this one okay. Um, I do really like... James Ransone as ex-deputy so-and-so. He's really kind of endearing and fumbling. And the more he kind of gets beat up and whacked around, the more you kind of root for him. And he's a good hero. And uh, so I think this movie has some good things to you know that I could say about it. Would I recommend it as a great date? No. I think it's a kind of a standard, you know, throwaway horror movie date. But not horrible. Hmm. Well, okay. you, but you're not going to see it, Kristen. <laughs> You never see these movies. I get so scared. It would scare you. It would scare you. I get really scared. It would scare you. All right. Well, it's time for our next movie that centers on human killing machines. Yes. Tell us all about American Ultra. So in American Ultra, Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart are back after appearing in Adventureland back in 2009. I'd forgotten about that, actually. So they're back together again. This time they're a boyfriend, girlfriend, stoner pair, living in the middle of nowhere. They kind of have dead-end jobs. She's like a bail bonds girl. He's working at a convenience store, and he just draws comic books. They're both kind of unmotivated losers, especially him. He's like agoraphobic, can't leave his own town. Gets panic attacks. Yeah, he's he's really not... he He doesn't have much going on. Right. And then... Suddenly, we find out maybe there's more going on with him than we think. A person, played by Connie Britton, who enters that convenience store, reprograms him. Or what's the right word for that, Rafer? I would say she triggers him. She activates him. Activate. There you go. Activate. Yes, that's That's right. She activates him, and then suddenly he realizes something's wrong. I'm a killing machine. Here's a clip. Hey, babes. What's up? I just killed two people. Two, um... Gentlemen. <laughs> That's awesome. Why? No, these two guys were trying to like break into my car at work and they had guns and knives and they were being like total dicks and they just attacked me. Baby got mugged? And then I took like a spoon and I just like, mm, I like shoved it through this guy. Did you call the police? No, I didn't call the police because I'm the kill guy. I'm the murderer, okay? I also have like, I have like a lot of weed and like mushrooms in my car and I just killed two dudes in a parking lot, okay? All right, so you get it. He kills somebody with a spoon. Oh, yeah. And he kills people in a lot of other ways in this movie, too. He certainly too. does. Yes, there's lots of killing. And Kristen Stewart, meanwhile, I do have to say, is such a supportive girlfriend. Boy, she's she just, sure is. She just, she's always just like, honey, it's okay. I love you no matter what. I'm here <laughs> yes. for you no matter And I, I really take issue with that because I think that's an underutilization of Kristen Stewart. Yeah, she's kind of sidelined in this movie. Um, yeah. th- I mean, the, the, the plot doesn't really build in much for her to do. Um, you know, it's really mostly about Jesse Eisenberg kind of trying to come to grips with what he either was or is becoming as, yeah. as this film goes on. You know, what, what you have there is a, a, a backstory at actual CIA headquarters where Connie Britton versus Topher Grace, who plays one of the <laughs> other CIA agents, are, you know, Connie Britton wants to keep uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character alive. Topher Grace wants to kill him, and so you get these waves of black ops types who keep coming after Jesse Eisenberg, trying to kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Um, 
I, I feel like, usually I can't figure out, I feel like I like action comedies. I like stoner comedies. But why don't I like any action stoner comedies? I never think they're funny. I never. never. No. I mean, Pineapple Express, uh, you know, I didn't think was that funny. I, I, this and I like the idea of the action stoner comedy. It's funny, right? You're the you're you're the absolute non-action hero, right? You're just a stoner. You're like the mm-hmm. most ineffectual person in the world, right? <laughs> and yet somehow, oh my God, when you put a shotgun in my hands, I you know I come to life and I find my inner Schwarzenegger. Well, I start but Pineapple Express, away. you didn't just love that scene where his foot is like right through the front window of his <laughs> yes. car. I mean, Anytime I think about that scene, I just laugh. There like, is some funny like you're moments driving in that. with your leg through the windshield. Yes. And I like when Danny McBride has lost his ear at the end. I thought that was funny. There was some funny stuff in that. Yes. Um, I think the problem is this movie doesn't utilize the humor. What's weird about it is that it turns dark, like, almost instantly. It almost instantly starts taking itself very seriously. And you start seeing all this, you know, behind-the-scenes desk jockeying between the CIA people. And then there's this kind of, ultimately, it gets kind of, cynical and sad in the way that like you know tinker taylor soldier spy is cynical and sad <laughs> i could not believe you just compared well, these two movies that's what i mean i kind of feel like don't don't do that it's a stoner action comedy and don't and also don't make the violence you know on the one hand jesse eisenberg is killing people with a dustpan mm-hmm. which is funny but then he's killing people with a sledgehammer to the head and yeah. i kind of feel like well, that's not that funny. And then people are just being shot point blank in the face. Yeah. Well, what I was saying earlier is I would have liked the um, action scenes amped up. And by that, I mean I would have loved it if they were more like Kingsman, the Secret S- Service. Stylish Re- and yeah, funny. Stylish, and funny. Inventive. Total, yeah, I would have loved them taken to another level. I just don't think they're taken to the level that they should be. And no. I think those kinds of like very deliberate action scenes, if they'd done that, would have added a lot to this movie. I agree. And – I, I mean, all that being said, it's still the better of the two human killing machine programmed yeah, people. but it's a bad date. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad date. It's not a good date, but if you have to go on a date, I still am going to say this is the better date this week. I'm going to make one little side note. This was written by Max Landis. Uh, the son of John Landis. Yes. and um, American Werewolf in London. Exactly. Our, our trivia question from a few weeks ago. That's right. And if anyone is familiar with John Landis, uh, they know that there's a certain animal that John Landis puts into, I'm pretty sure, every single one of his films. There could be some exceptions. But there's a certain animal he puts into every film, and that is a gorilla, a giant ape. And I noticed that in this movie, the comics that Jesse Eisenberg's character draws are called Apollo Ape. So oh. I feel like I feel like there's a little John Landis torch passing going on to his son there. Oh, yeah, that's nice. But still a bad date. Oh, Sorry. I, bl- I blame the director. Uh, oh yes, that's that. He very, did Project X. He too. did Project X. That's right. It's a movie that, as you know, I hated. I hated it as well. <laughs> All right. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we have movie therapy. Today's Movie Date podcast is supported by Audible. Audible Audible.com is the place for audiobooks and spoken word audio titles. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from every category possible, including books that will soon become movies like Girl on a Train by Paula Hawkins or Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. With Audible's great listen guarantee, you can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another. Anytime, no questions asked. So go to audible.com slash movie date for a free 30-day trial and free audiobook. That's audible.com slash movie date.
I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Krista Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And we just want to remind listeners, if you haven't already, and even if you don't listen to us on this method, go to iTunes. iTunes is the great place where you can rate us, where you can say things about us. And the more people who rate us and say things about us, the easier it is for other people to find us who are tracking us down. So if you would do that, Rafer and I would love that. We'd like to be found. We'd love to be found. Yes. Being found is wonderful. We love that. All right, Rafer. I think it's time for us to put on our white coats. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! And Rafer, we have a very special question this week. Hey, Kristen and Rafer, it's Joanna, and I produce the Longest Shortest Time podcast with Hillary Frank. And our newest episode is about me and my ambivalence over having kids. And so what I would like to request for my movie date therapy is movies for those of us who just don't know whether or not they want to have kids. I'm in my 30s. I'm single. I'm starting to think about when is a good time to actually start thinking about this stuff or planning it. And I know there's a ton of people that are in the same position as me. And it is a source of anxiety for many of us. So I would love to hear any insights you have on movies that could help soothe my anxieties over whether or not to have a baby. I can't believe I said that out loud. It's crazy. Uh, Okay, thank you so much. Ah, Joanna, this is a tough, tough call. Really one of the toughest, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, Rafer, how old were you when you became a parent? 40. Yeah. And did you know that you wanted to be a parent your whole life? Um, I did, but I always thought it would just kind of happen at some date in the future. <laughs> that where and I, I would be. I, I, I thought it would happen in some kind of parallel universe or something. I was. I was. It was all very poorly planned on my part. Um, <laughs> but that, of course, is partly why I got married to the woman that I did because I knew that she would take care of these things and figure it all out. And, <laughs> and lo and behold, she did. When my when my wife and I were discussing having a baby and when. I told her, and I don't know if this is really the right thing to say to a person, but I just said, you make the call. You tell me. You tell me when it's time. And she did. And she did. She did. And she did. She did it. Wow. So let's come up with some prescriptions for Joanna. And Rafer, you have some great ones. I, I've, got, I've got a couple. I'm going to start off with um, uh, one. Both my movies, by the way, not what you'd call critical hits, but I'm, I picked them anyway. The first one is She's Having a Baby from 1988, which I think most people would consider uh, one of John Hughes' worst films. Yeah, uneven. It, un- was, fre- un- it was frequently called uneven. Uneven. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And, uh, and, it, and that is, that is an, an accurate criticism, I would say. But this is the film that starred uh, Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern as the Briggs, uh, Jake and Christy Briggs, and they're newlyweds, and she wants to have a baby. And Jake is... A young guy and uh, kind of an aspiring writer and uh, still is kind of, even though he's married, feels that he can kind of still live that sort of freewheeling single life. Uh, uh, one of his friends, by the way, played by Alec Baldwin. Um, and uh, But, you know, the whole idea of having a baby is really, he thinks, going to take some of that fun out of his life. And what is he going to get in return for that? Are you mad? No. Would you rather not talk? I'm fine. What are you going to talk about? You know. Kids. You want kids? Don't you? It's irreversible. So? I'm not in the mood for irreversible action right now. 
Let's go to sleep. What I liked about this film, uh, even though it is, as you say, Kristen, uneven, especially in its tone, it kind of veers back and forth between kind of wacky comedy and very these very serious moments mm-hmm. of drama. But you do see Kevin Bacon go through all these phases of, you know, you know yes, no, yes, no, I want this, I don't want this, I, I want this, but I'm scared. Uh, and then this sort of final resolution. I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. She does have a baby. And Much like the title says. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, there's a nice moment, I think, where he really realizes what's happened and what's going to have to happen in his life and that all of this is actually going to be a good thing. And I know this is told mostly from the male point of view, and I, and it does tell the story partly from uh, Christie's point of view. I do think she gets a little bit uh, slighted in this oh, film. Yeah. She doesn't have as many lines. No. She doesn't have as much agency as a character. No, a lot of the not. time she's just very pretty and sweet. Yes, right. Or And, and or a little bitchy. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's right? that too. <laughs> and I think that's a little unfair. But, um, but you know, Joanna, uh, if you can put yourself in Kevin Bacon's shoes, and who can't, uh, <laughs> then I think that you'll kind of, I think this film might speak to you. Great prescription, Dr. Guzman. Thank you, Dr. Meinzer. All right. And my first prescription kind of along the same lines, the reluctant parent, Knocked Up. I now, love Knocked Up. Now, you might recall in Knocked Up, we have Seth Rogen, we have Katherine Heigl. They, after a crazy drunk one-night stand, they don't even know each other. He's kind of a stoner mess. She's kind of a high-climbing media person trying to make it happen. They find themselves pregnant. They are trying to figure out whether or not to make a relationship happen. They decide very early on an abortion's not going to happen. They're going to keep this kid, but... What is their relationship going to be with each other? How are they going to do this parenthood thing? Are either of them even ready to be parents? Yes. Who knows? Here's a clip. This is a disaster. No, this is not a disaster. It is. An earthquake is a disaster. Your grandmother having Alzheimer's so bad she doesn't even know who the fuck I am. That's a disaster. This is a good thing. This is a blessing. I have a vision for how my life would go, and this definitely is Wait, not is this your it. vision are you living your vision right I now? am kind of living my vision wow that is sad I'm telling you life doesn't care about your vision okay stuff happens you just got to deal with it still I think Judd Apatow's best yeah you know it really even though it seems wacky and in some ways just seems screwball I think it actually touches on a lot of the very human emotions we all have about relationships and about parenthood yes. and about growing up and Am I capable of this? Am I able to step up and do this thing? Or not even step up and do it. Am I happier not doing this thing? Right. You know? And it doesn't treat parenthood as if it's better than being single necessarily. It just treats it like a different step in your life that you might not want to take. You might want to take the step this direction instead. And I think that that's really gently handled in this movie. and, And it will make you laugh. Yes, completely. Uh, all right, well, changing gears slightly to more of a tearjerker. Again, as I said, not a critical hit, but I'm, I'm going to pick this one anyway. From 1998, Stepmom with Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon and Ed Harris. Uh, now, I, when this film came out, I think a lot of people just dismissed it completely out of hand. You know, Julia Roberts was kind of at the height of her sort of big-eyed fame, and I think everyone just thought, oh, my God, a tearjerker with Julia Roberts. Get me out of here. Um, and I can understand that. Uh, I watched this film recently and was surprised at how much I liked it and how what I thought how wonderful the script was. And what you have here, if, if you remember, uh, Ed Harris and Susan Sarandon used to be married. They divorced. Uh, they have uh, three kids, I think. And um, 
Julia Roberts is the new wife, the new young pretty wife. Oh yeah, like half the age of Ed Harris. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which of course you know outrages uh, Susan Sarandon. Uh, much of the film is about how uh, Susan Sarandon is trying to undermine and put a wedge between um, uh, her children and Julia Roberts because she doesn't want to see this uh, interloper kind of take over these kids and build the kind of relationship that she has with her kids. Uh, of course. Again, I think everyone knows Susan Sarandon comes down with cancer. She's oh, dying. Yeah. And now she's got this hard choice, uh, which is what does she, you know, what, which, what's more important to her? What's more important to her, you know, keeping Julia Roberts away from her children or giving her children the mother figure that they're not going to have? Dear God, what have I done? You have turned her into you. That's what this is about. That's all this is about. Oh, how would you know what this is about? You haven't been here from the beginning, worrying every minute of every day that the decisions you're making are going to shape the people that they are going to be. And you are not what I want my children to be. I don't want that either. But this isn't about me or you. It's about them. And believe it or not, I am trying. And I do have their very best interests at heart. And what I loved about this movie is no one's a villain. Uh, everyone has two sides. Uh, you can see two sides of every story. Um, you understand Susan Sarandon's anger at her husband, but you also understand uh, that her husband fell in love with this, uh, you know, this young woman. Yeah, it looks like he's, uh, you know, going through midlife crisis and and is kind of a typical dude, but it also seems to be a real relationship. The other thing I like about this movie, um, and I think this will go to your point, Joanna, is that. Julia Roberts never really wanted to be a mom to these children. That was not really what she signed up for. She's not trying to be an interloper, even if she looks like one on the outside. No, I think she wants to fulfill some functions and help these kids and, you know, take care of the lunches and things. But that's not really what she was planning to do with her life. And um, so you see... Two two different female figures, you know, the, the the mother who can't let go and the mother who never wanted to be a mother. And uh, so I think stepmom would be a really good choice. And Joanna, finally, this is going to sound possibly completely off base here, but trust us on this one. Our last recommendation is about somebody who never has kids, who doesn't get married, but still has a rich, fulfilling, very successful life. And she does have romance. She does have people she loves. Her life is not sad. It's just that path that she took. It's based on the real story of Jane Austen. Jane Austen, who wrote Pride and Prejudice, who wrote Sense and Sensibility, Emma, a number of other books. The film is called Becoming Jane. It stars Anne Hathaway as Jane Austen, and it's loosely based on Jane Austen's real story. Mending, scratching, scraping, endlessly, endlessly making do. I understand that our circumstances are difficult, Mum. There is no... Money for you. Surely something could be done. What we can put by must go to your brothers. You will have nothing unless you marry. Well, then I will have nothing. For I will not marry without affection, like my mother. And it's one of the very few movies out there that just shows a really happy, very successful woman, very talented, living her life, and not miserable at all about the fact that she has no kids. And unfortunately... We don't get to see this kind of story very often. And so many celebrities and famous people and historical figures out there have been very happy without kids. You know, of course, we have 
some of my favorites. We have Dolly Parton. We have Betty White. We have Oprah Winfrey. We have so many people out yeah, there who've Oprah had Oprah Winfrey. No yeah, kids. Yeah, just wonderful, wonderful, successful, happy lives filled with love, filled with friends, filled with all sorts of happiness. And we don't get to see that enough in the movies. But in Becoming Jane, we see her, you know, grappling with things like her own talent, with romance, with family roles. And we see that she's going to be fine no matter what. Whether or not she ever gets married and has kids, it's going to be totally fine. And Joanna, that's going to be the case with you too. No matter what you do, it's going to be totally fine. I agree. So thank you so much, Joanna, for writing in. And, you know, the rest of you listeners out there, if you have any suggestions of what to add to this list, always feel free to add them on our Facebook page facebook.com slash movie date podcast you can also use that page to submit your own questions for movie therapy or you can call us at 5717 movies that's the same number you can use for trivia answers aha Rafer, what did we ask for last week's trivia well last week we'd been reviewing uh, a new series called difficult people about uh, people new- like us about exactly <laughs> about people like us uh, sadly almost difficult to watch Difficult people. Um, and one of the main characters in that uh, series is a blogger. And so we were trying to think of how many other movies out there had been about bloggers. There have been a few. And uh, we came up with this one. I forgot to tell you. Do you know what Annabelle's doing now? Sarah told me. A blog. Of what? What do you mean of what? A blog of Annabelle. Of every thought that passes through her brain. Her stupid, vapid, insipid... I could write a blog. I have thoughts. Now, we asked you to name that film, and we got just a flood of responses. So many everyone, responses. Everyone knew that film. And uh, we chose two, uh, two answers this time because um, so many people had very strong reactions about the two characters in this film. Here's our first response. Hey, Kristen and Rafer. This is Rembert calling. I'm on the road from Spread Eagle, Wisconsin, to Brooklyn, New York. And I think I know the answer to the trivia question. I think that was a clip from Julie and Julia, the movie in which Meryl Streep plays fabulously the fabulous Julia Child and Amy Adams plays the insufferable blogger Julie. Ugh. You barely stomach her character in that movie, but it was worth it. For Julia Child, Meryl Oh, Rembert, your sentiments are not alone. Yes. Most people who called and wrote in this week said exactly the same thing as you. They yes. love the Julia Child's part. They hate the Julie part. Everyone loved Streep. Everyone hated Amy Adams. <laughs> yes. But not everybody feels the way you do. We have at least one cheerleader out there who also likes Amy Adams. Hi, Rafer and Kristen. It's Tom Wright calling from Livonia, Michigan with an answer to your trivia this week. It is Julie and Julia starring the lovely Amy Adams. Really enjoyed that movie and really enjoy your show each week. Yes. Standing up for good old Amy Adams there. <laughs> You're a voice in the wilderness. Good for you. Good for you. We also feel compelled, by the way, to play a trivia answer from a listener who really wanted to answer the trivia question uh, last week, but she didn't. Yeah. She says she knew the answer. Let, let, let's hear that. Just, you know, this will be a gentle reminder to people to call in if you know the answer. Hey guys, it's Cassie in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and I'm kicking myself because I knew the answer last week was Courtney Love in the People versus Larry Ford, and I didn't call in, and I should have because I would have been the only one with the right answer. Ah! Okay, love your show. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Cassie, 
that's that's a wonderful reminder to our other listeners out there. So we appreciate that you called in. Even though it was a week late, it reminds other listeners they too, even if they think everybody knows this answer, they might not. They that's might, right. They might be alone out there. You're a cautionary tale, Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week, because we have some stoners in American yes. Ultra, we're going to play a clip of another famous stoner from the movies. Here's the clip. Why don't you get a job? What for? You need money. <laughs> All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Thanks. Can I use your bathroom? Yeah, go ahead. Who is that stoner, Rafer? Listeners, don't tell me you don't know who that is. Who is that stoner? Don't be giving me that week later trivia call. <laughs> No, there are so many stoners in the movie, they might not know which stoner this is, Rafer. Come on. There are a lot of stoners. All right. You know. And if you know, give us a call. 5717-MOVIES. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. podcast.